<clears throat> we'll get there. We'll get there one day. <laughs> if, if the Lord allows. <laughs> All right. So John 5. Let's read through. Uh, let's read through the chapter. And then we'll um, talk about it a little bit. Uh, this is a, a great section here about um, John giving us some of Jesus' teaching about about his um, about Jesus' relationship to the Father, to that that connection, what that is, what it looks like, what it means. Um, and I, I think that's obviously it's really important. Uh, there were a number of church battles over that issue, <laughs> over what it meant, over who Jesus really is and was. And, and, of course, is. So um, let's read uh, John 5, and then we'll jump into um, verses here, one at a time. <clears throat> All right. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew uh, Bethesda, uh, some of your translations might say Bethzatha, uh, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, uh, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was, uh, was Shabbat, was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It's, it's Shabbat. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. <laughs> does it sound as ridiculous to you as it does to me? <laughs> anyway, he answered, he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke Shabbat, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. 
for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Don't marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is right. It is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I don't receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, he was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you don't, you don't have his word abiding in you, living in you. Because whom he sent, him you don't believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I don't receive honor from men, but I know you, that that you don't have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How how can you believe? How, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and don't seek the honor that comes from the only God? Don't think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Well, Jesus had friendly things to say to the religious leaders of the time and today, I'm sure. Let's pray. Father, would you would you speak into us that word that is only from you? May your word produce life. Thank you for speaking to those who are dead. That's us. And for giving us life. Thank you for sending Jesus so that we can know you, Father, in a very intimate, particular, peculiar, and important way. Lord, 
Let us not make idols of these little books in front of us. Let us value the true word. May it lead us to you, the living God. It's always been you that we've needed, more than all of our circumstances to be smooth. Lord, we want peace. And sometimes what we mean by that is we want things to be easy. We want ease, really, not peace. Lord, would you would you settle our hearts even in the midst of discouragement and pain and sorrow, hurt? May we find our hearts resting on a solid foundation on you, Lord. Not just on some word from you, but on you yourself. Because you've given yourself to us. What a joy it is for us to Take joy in that, in this season that many call Advent. Oh, may it be year-long for us, Lord, not, not, not just this time. Rejoicing that you truly are the God who is with us. Moment by moment, minute by minute, in all of our joys, in all of our distresses, Lord, still you are here. And you are the God who resurrects, who gives life, because you have life in yourself. It's important for me to know that, for us to know that. Father, I pray you'd speak to us through your word that we might know you, the only true God, (laughs) and thus know eternal life. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, back up with me to the beginning of John 5. <clears throat> as we look at our our text today, so first thing, first uh, situation here really deals with the the this issue of Sabbath and violating the Sabbath again. This is something that is dealt with regularly. As John mentions, it's one of the things that kept becoming a a like a dagger that was used in the the side of the religious leaders to to provoke them was the way that Jesus violated the traditions of the elders as it related to the Sabbath. Now there were other things, don't misunderstand, uh, but this was one that was that that happened regularly, okay? Uh, Jesus seeking to teach them, uh, as we read in other places, seeking to teach them uh, things like where God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, <laughs> you know, like like when the disciples took the grains of, of wheat and, and plucked them on the Sabbath day and began to, to eat them. Uh, they were violating the Sabbath because they were working by taking the chaff off of the grains in order to eat them, that sort of thing. And, and um, Jesus is like, guys, like, Taking care of people is important. Like, forget your traditions that say you can't, uh, you know, roll wheat on the Sabbath day to get the chaff off of it. Forget that. These people are hungry. Take care of them. You know, um, teaching them the, uh, to love their neighbor as themselves. That was, um, as Jesus said, was one of the great commands. So. Um, this first situation deals with that, but it begins with this story of this paralyzed man or a man who is withered. Um, is the I think literal word there for 
um, for paralyzed. A couple of things I do want to mention. Uh, there's a half a verse and another verse of this section that aren't in a uh, few manuscripts. Uh, some of your Bibles may footnote that. Some may just actually leave verse four out and half of verse three. Just depends on the way the, the, your translators um, on, on your version wanted to, to do it. Um, I want to talk to you about that for a second uh, in, in just a minute when we get to that, that section. Um, and, uh, and some some thoughts I had about it, but we'll get there. Uh, okay, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Again, a few manuscripts say Bethzatha uh, is what it was called. Um, as there were with many things, there can be several different ways for words to be pronounced or even things to be titled. So. Um, uh, this pool of Bethesda was there having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Now, some of you, this is where the last half of the verse from, from this part, from waiting for the moving of the water, and then all of verse four, um, there are a few manuscripts that don't have that, um, that don't have that section in there. Um, so here's what I want to do first. Is it, uh, waiting for the moving of the water. So that part right there, the waiting for the moving of the water, and then the next verse, verse four, is not in um, is not in a few manuscripts uh, that we have um, located. It is in in the majority of them, uh, in what we refer to as uh, the Texas Receptus, um, but it's not in a few of the others. Why does that matter? Here's what I want to do. I want to um, just kind of skip it for a sec. We'll come back to it, but I want to skip it and I want to read the story like this without it. So having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. And then we'll skip the rest of verse 3 and verse 4. And then it says in verse 5, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And then we'll go on to to 6 here and read the rest. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already uh, had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So here's what I want to point out. If if we skip that part that talks about the angel coming and stirring the water and the first person getting in um, being um, healed, then this has no context. Does that make sense? Like, like why is he saying that? <laughs> like, And why does it matter if he's the first one to get in? And what does the stirring of the water mean? Like, what does that even mean, right? Like what's the what is any of that, right? So um, uh, while it it may have been uh, something that was either cut out at some point, or it could be something that was um, added for clarification, maybe I'm not bothered by any of those ideas. I know that some people are bothered by some of that stuff. I'm not really bothered by it at all. Um, what I do find interesting is that, uh, and, and now go back with me to verse three and four, the end of verse three. If you can move this slide back. Um, <clears throat> The end of verse 3 and then 4, waiting for the moving of the water. And now verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stopped, stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, what this does, what that section does, that verse, verse 4, is it, it lends to us an idea as to why the man is saying what he's saying later on down. When he's like, when Jesus is like, do you want to be made well? And the guy's like, sir, I don't have anybody to help me get in the water when it's stirred up. You know, uh, otherwise, if we didn't have this verse right here, we wouldn't know what, what he was talking about. And why would it matter if he was first to get in the water when the water was stirred up? What's the point of any of that? Right. So that doesn't that doesn't mean that we need this verse there. But 
I'm just saying that it's helpful. <laughs> it's helpful to kind of lend context to why the guy is replying to Jesus the way that he is. Um, there again, it's a, it's just something that's a little bit disputed by some people. Some people say it shouldn't be there. Other people say it should be there. I say I don't really care. I find it helpful. Uh, I don't I don't really feel like I need to argue with anybody about it. I find it helpful that the that context is there. Here's something that I do find interesting though is that I I w- uh, was a part of a Bible study one time and somebody asked this question. They were like. Um, was this something that was true? Did an angel actually come and stir the waters and was the first person healed? Um, A couple things. One is if the verse is genuine and should in fact be there, whether from John or from somebody who added it for clarification, if, if it's true and should be there, whoever the author is of that verse believed it to be true. Right, because he just states it as a matter of fact. He doesn't say this is what people thought happened. He just says this is what happened. Sometimes an angel came and stirred the water, and the first person that got in was healed. He just believes it. Whoever the author is, right, John or, or whatever. So, like that person believes this, uh, even if it's not there. Even if it's not there, the guy who was paralyzed, he certainly believes something happened, right? Because he says, "Sir." There's nobody to help me get in the water. And somebody always gets there first because he's he's paralyzed, right? And he's like, whatever, trying to crawl to the water and somebody else gets in first. And so he doesn't ever get healed. So whatever is happening, obviously there's something that's happening in this scene where the water is stirred at some point and whoever gets in it seems to be healed because this is what's happening. This is like, this guy genuinely believes this to be true and he's, he wants that, but he can't get it for himself. He's paralyzed, Okay. He wants to be healed, um, but he can't be. And so Jesus comes. Uh, also, let me let me say this. I'm 39 now. I know. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I this guy had been in this condition for 38 years. I've suffered from some conditions <laughs> before. <laughs> <laughs> for 30 right that's a mental one so let's we won't go there <laughs> um <laughs> but for 38 years the guy's been paralyzed and he i don't know how long he's been at the pool but he wants to get in that water as soon as it's stirred up and, and who knows what this is some some people have said well well god would never do this because it promotes competition and all that stuff i'm like well all right, I don't really think it's wise for me to say what God would or wouldn't do (laughs) other than what God has said. (laughs) Um, I mean, how can the thing formed say to him who formed it, why'd you make me like this? (laughs) He's the one making what he wants. Who can tell him otherwise? He's, He's sovereign. That's what we mean when we say that. Well, I don't like that idea. I know, right? It's scary because it means there's a lot less that you're in control of than you think. <laughs> but what if he's really, really good? And what if I can trust him? See, the coming of Jesus is about that. It's about me learning that he's good and that I can't can trust him. <clears throat> um, anyway, so... Now that we've <laughs> we've had our arguments about the angel coming and stirring the water and somebody being healed, Jesus asked the guy, do you want to be made well? 
let's uh, let's move to um, six and seven here. And the sick man answered him, "Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up." Um, which kind of itself is kind of sad because it says the the area is full of a bunch of people that are sick and and have all these uh, diseases and infirmities and and other stuff. And this guy is like, I don't have anybody to help me. Which is like, ha, we understand that, right? Because we live in a world that doesn't want to help each other. Am I my brother's keeper? We're we're saying that all the time, aren't we? Do I really need to help take care of that person? Do I really? Yeah. Duh, 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 right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, what did you, what did I think that meant? Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so the guy says, I don't have any man to help me. Um, no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. While I'm coming, another steps down before me. It feels very much like American culture, right? <laughs> Somebody else always beating you to it, you know, and. <clears throat> A lot of competition. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Verse 8 says, And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. A couple of things just want to make sure we're aware of. The, the text says the area was full of people, full of people with all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and Jesus says to this one guy, take up your bed and walk. Why are you pointing that out? <laughs> well, if nothing else, it's to remind us that, um, that he doesn't always do the same thing for, for you that he'll do for someone else. doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you. <clears throat> the guy says, I don't have any man to help me get in the pool. And Jesus' response to that is simply to command him to rise and take up his bed and walk. There's no mention yet of this being an issue on the Sabbath day. John brings that up after the whole miracle takes place. It's like something John then begins to use because remember, John's unfolding this story about Jesus and about his love. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and in believing him to have eternal life. John tells us that's why he wrote the things that he wrote. <clears throat> but he's also helping us to understand why the religious leaders got so mad at Jesus and why they executed him, why they killed him. <clears throat> Jesus said to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Because that's all. I just want to remind you, there's nothing that's hard. There's nothing that's hard for the Lord. But that doesn't mean that he's going to do everything that I ask. How arrogant must I be to think that? Why would I even want God to do everything that I ask? Like, Do I think I'm smart enough to know what should happen in every situation? That's scary. I'm not smart enough to know. Immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. It really is a, a glorious story and a reminder, a reminder of, of the kingdom that Jesus is presenting. He's showing us what his kingdom is like. It is a place of health, of joy, of healing. <laughs> 
one day there's going to be a fullness of that kingdom. Right? That's the promise that we cling to, that we're holding on to. That he's promised to come back. And it's going to be better than in the Lion King. They say the king has returned. <laughs> but, but also a reminder that so many of our stories uh, are based in deeply, in deeply rooted spiritual ideas. So many of our fictions. <clears throat> Guy was healed. But this is a no-go, okay, because this is a Sabbath day. How dare Jesus tell somebody to carry their bed? That's ridiculous. <laughs> so verse 9 continues. And that day was the Sabbath. Because John's like, I just need you to realize. <laughs> this made people mad. Can you imagine that? Jesus is like, this guy's healed. <laughs> Rise up and walk. And it makes... It makes the people who are supposed to be teaching what it means to obey God and follow God, it makes them angry that this man is healed and then told to carry his bed on the Sabbath day because it violates their traditions they had passed down. You know, the fiddler on the roof thing, tradition. That's what that story is all about. So verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's Shabbat. It isn't lawful for you to carry your bed. It just sounds ridiculous when I hear it. Like, <laughs> like I can't even, I can't wrap my, my brain around it except that unfortunately I grew up in the church and I've heard people say some of the most ridiculous things about their traditions, even though there was some like great, wonderful thing that was happening. Sometimes people are like so clinging to their traditions where it was like, oh, this, this person who has been running from the Lord, they've, they've come to church or they want it, they've trusted in the Lord. And they're like, well, they're not wearing the right clothes to be here. And you're like, what are you, what? <laughs> it's so ridiculous, right? Like, like crazy type of thing, right? But that's, that's what tradition does, right? When we elevate tradition and we, we make our traditions as if they were God's commands and we say, you've got to dress this way or look this way or act like this or whatever, or walk this way. Sorry, that was bad. <laughs> it's Shabbat. It isn't lawful for you to carry your bed. And it should sound as ridiculous as it does. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Like that's... But we, we need to be mindful. We need to be careful that we don't get caught up in a mindset where we become, we've begun to elevate um, traditions that you keep that cause you to think that you then are better than others because you do some tradition. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And then they looked down, they criticized those who didn't keep whatever that tradition was. Um, that they had. And, and it was just a tradition. It was not anything that had been commanded. The commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And don't do any normal work on it. That was the command. Take a break. God will provide for you. You don't have to work every single day. Take some time. And they better not start a fire on the Sabbath day. <laughs> I mean, and, and ad infinitum. I mean, just, 
a ton, a ton of, of rules about what that should look like for you. And if you don't do it the way I say, you're sinning. There are gray areas as you and I walk with Jesus <clears throat> about what it what it means to walk together with him, about what music we can or can't listen to or should or shouldn't, and what movies we can or can't or should or shouldn't watch, and what TV shows or what other, maybe other activities we may or may not participate in. There are gray areas for us. Everything is not black and white. But the problem comes when I take my convictions about some particular issue, which make it sin for me, right? If you violate your conscience, whatever that thing is, is sin for you. Don't violate your conscience. If you think something's wrong, don't do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but also, <clears throat> when we take those uh, personal convictions, frequently based on traditions, based on um, socioeconomic traditions, based on social traditions of our communities. Whatever community you grew, grew up in has traditions related to that. And you grew up with those things. And there were things that you were taught culturally as mores that are good or bad and, and all of that. And, and we can bring that in and we can say, well, you're not doing this thing like I do, right? It's one of the problems with sometimes with foreign missions work is that sometimes we go into other cultures and instead of just preaching the gospel and, and announcing the kingdom, we try to bring our mores there, our American social mores into another culture and say, no, 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 this is what it really looks like, you know, to do good and evil or whatever. And it's just not right. <clears throat> it's Sabbath. It isn't lawful for you to carry your bed. Verse 11, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. That'd be my response too. Be like, I know you guys are mad about this, but like, I was paralyzed for 38 years and bro healed me and he's like, take up your bed and walk. So guess what I did? I took up my bed and walked, <laughs> right? Because because I haven't been able to do that for 38 years. I can now. <laughs> this guy said I can do it. <laughs> like, I don't know what your deal is, right? Like, that'd be my response to you. <laughs> take up the guy, the guy that healed me was like, take up your bed and walk. So I did what he said because he healed me. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed? And they're like, we want to know who this guy is, right? Because they're constantly, even when Jesus went in earlier, we read a couple chapters ago where Jesus flips over the tables. Uh, this is the first time he did it where he flipped over the tables of the money changers and he did all that stuff. Their question to him was, who told you you could do this? Who gave you this authority? Because that's what they always wanted to know about him was like, why? If you're this rabbi, if you're this prophet, if you're this whatever, who, who gave you the authority to do these things? Because their authority was frequently derived from themselves as a group, as a collective of leaders. And if you didn't get your authority from them, where's your authority from? Right? It's sort of the idea of being like on the in crowd or not. Jesus was certainly on the outside of that group, right? Um, but he did these things with authority. Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They want to know who he is. But the one who, has, who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Stop right there. I think this is so lovely about the story. Like, the guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus just like was there at, at the pool of Bethesda, talked to this random dude, and was just like, hey, take up your bed and walk. And the guy did it. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. This is wonderful. I just, because sometimes, sometimes the, the, Idea, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes we get these things where it's like, well, you're not healed because you didn't have enough faith in Jesus or whatever. It's like, this guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. He doesn't know who this man is. He just was this guy who was like, 
be healed. Take up your bed and walk. No mention of, of, of any, anybody's faith. No mention of any of that. See, one of the things I notice as I read through the scriptures is that when, when, I, when I slow down, sometimes I, I notice things that I just sometimes contradict things I've been taught. <laughs> the guys don't even know who he is. Jesus, as soon as he healed him, it says that he was withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. One of the other themes that we find in John's gospel is him constantly reminding us that Jesus was saying during his time of ministry, it's not my hour yet, it's not my hour yet, it's not my hour yet, until the time of crucifixion. Then he's like, now, now's the time. So he did a lot of things and sometimes publicly spoke, but frequently he was withdrawing away from the crowds. Frequently he was hiding. There's a time when they're going to kind of take him and take him up onto a, a almost a cliff where they would push him off, and he just like walk right through the middle of them and just like disappeared into the crowd, you know. Um, so, uh, anyways, so the guy didn't even know who it was. A multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, I didn't want to hear that. I'm sure that guy didn't want to hear it either. A couple of problems I have with this. Problems? Who are you? I know, right? A couple of problems. Only, I only say problems in the sense that there are things that I've heard or things that I've been taught that I just think we need to wrestle with and we need to consider. One is this idea that um, that every defect, every sickness, every illness, every paralyzation, every every affliction you have is the result, direct result of some sin, some particular sin. That's an idea that is embraced by some and taught. Now, to combat that idea, in a couple chapters will be there, I lay before you John chapter 9, the man born blind. What a glorious story. Because the response of the people was, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And we talk about the idea of, quote-unquote, generational sin or generational curses. We'll deal with that at a different time, that whole concept. It's out there sometimes. But they thought, because this is what the spiritual leaders were teaching, they thought that the reason he was born blind was because of the direct result of some sin, either his own sin, but he was born blind. The they believe that you could sin as a as a fetus in your mom's um, uterus. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they kick too hard. I don't. I don't know. Like, stop it. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Some of you moms, you know, you've been pregnant. You guys might know. <laughs> like, it hurts. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> uh, anyhow, uh, so the question was: Was it that man' sin that he was born blind, or was it because of his parents' sin that he was born blind? Either way, what they're saying is. Obviously, if he's born blind, it's because of some issue of sin. And Jesus said, no. But he's born blind for the glory of God. And then Jesus uses that situation and heals him of his blindness. And it becomes an issue that then confronts the spiritual, the, the religious leaders in Israel, right? At that, at that time, another thing that becomes a problem for them. Because they want to kick the guy out of synagogue, and they threaten anybody that is supporting Jesus is getting kicked out of synagogue. And they even call the guy's parents and they're like, hey, was this guy, is this your son? Was he born blind? And they're like, this is our son. Yep. He was born blind. Yep. How he's healed? No idea. We don't know anything about it. Yeah. That, yeah. Ask, ask him again. They had already asked him. Like, ask him. 
because they don't want to lose their place in synagogue, right? They don't want to get kicked out of synagogue. And they threaten the guy, and the guy's like, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but this guy Jesus healed me. <laughs> like, well, you know, whatever it is that, that you guys think about it, I don't really care. I was blind, and now I see, right? That's that that uh, Fraser. He's like, this is what happened. <laughs> he's just bearing witness to that that reality, you know. So anyhow, so um, I, I think that's a great story, a great um, one that reminds us that um, – Affliction in its totality is not always the direct result of some particular sin in your life or, uh, should I say, also of your parents. However, (laughs) if anyone were ever to suggest that sinful choices have no real consequences, that's just foolishness. Sin produces death. The wages of sin is death always. The things that we suffer may not be the direct result of my sin or my parents. They are the direct result of Adam's and the curse that was then placed on all of humanity, all of creation, and why creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God, for the redemption, for the buying back. The restoration of all things, right? That's that's what we're we're pointed towards. A couple of things I want to give you. You can read them on your own. We're running out of time, so you need to read them on your own. If you don't, I'll send someone to break your kneecap. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm dumb. Um, I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't like to give you specific verse references when I want you to read something. I like to give you the whole chapter, so just read the chapter. And when you're done with that, read the whole book it's in. How about that? And then when you finish that, read <laughs> read several books around that. <laughs> and then when you're finished with that, read your Bible. <laughs> and then when you're finished, you should read it again. Anyway, so, uh, so here's a couple of illustrations I want to give to you. 1 Corinthians 11 is one. When Paul talks uh, to writes to the Church of Corinth about their practice of the Lord's table when they gather together, he's like, it's not for everybody's benefit. Some of you guys come and you're like hungry, and the people who are poor are coming, and there's no food left because some of you guys could have eaten at home, but you were, you know, you hogged all the food. Now the poor folks who are part of your your gathering, they can't even eat now. He's like, what the what are you doing? You're not even gathering together for the benefit of all of you guys. Like, what? That's not helpful. It's why we gather together is to help each other, right? It's to serve each other. It's what we're doing, right? So. As it comes to the Lord's table, he's like, listen, some of you haven't given worth to this. This is 1 Corinthians 11. And some of you are sick, and some of you are weak, and some sleep. That was his euphemism for dead, for a Christian. right? Some died because they didn't value the Lord's table. That's, that's heavy, right? That's one place, right? That's a direct consequence of sin, right? Like, like, whoa. What, is that, what does that look like? Is that me? I don't know. Is it? You search your heart. You talk to the Lord. You figure it out. He wants you to trust him. If you're looking to me for all your answers, you're looking in the wrong direction. 
I want you to follow Jesus, right? What I'm trying to tell you is what, what he's said, what he's taught us. Another place, 1 John 5. So read 1 Corinthians 11, read the whole thing. The beginning part of it is going to confuse the mess out of you. I hope it does. It's about head coverings and the gathering. Anyways, it's fun. So read the whole thing, 1 Corinthians 11. <laughs> and then uh, and then 1 John 5, read this one. So 1 John 5, near the end of 1 John, um, this is actually right at the end of 1 John. John's like, there is sin leading to death, right? Then he says, not all sin leads to death. There is sin not leading to death. Because he's talking about how we should be praying for each other when we sin so that we can be restored. We should confess to each other and pray for each other so that we can be restored whenever we, we fall in sin and that sort of stuff. And he's like, listen, there is sin leading to death. And John goes, I don't say you should pray about that. Because <laughs> like, if you sin and you're dead now, John's like, you don't have to pray about that anymore. <laughs> it's like, if you sin in a particular way and the consequence of that sin was that you died, right? I mean, there can be there can be all sorts of natural consequences, or it also could be a supernatural judgment against you. Don't don't think that God won't take you. Just say, "I'm done." Just swatch you, <laughs> okay? He loves you, and he might do that if he wants. A great example of that you can read this in Acts five is Ananias and Sapphira. Right? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Nobody told them they had to sell their land. Nobody told them they had to give all the money. But they wanted to look better than they really were. They, they were putting on this air. And Peter was like, bro, sis, like what? what are you doing? <laughs> Why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit? And immediately they were judged. <laughs> Ananias breathed his last, and the young men carried him out, <laughs> like, out of Peter's presence. Like I think about like what it was like in the early church, and you're like, okay, so the next verses after this say, and fear fell among the church. Like I bet they had some some respect about spiritual things. Ananias and Sapphira just died, you know. The same thing happened to Sapphira. <laughs> he's like, why have you guys conspired to, to lie? Like, He's like, when it was yours, wasn't it in your hands? You, you could do what you want with it. Uh, but they did something else, and, and God was like, all right, you just, <laughs> let me just, you're done. <laughs> you're done. <clears throat> so, I hope that... Uh, the clarity that I wanted to bring related to this idea uh, was to remind us of this, that um, all of our affliction and sorrow and trouble is not immediately the direct result of some particular sin issue in your life or your parents' sin that's affecting you. However, it would be foolish and unwise to suggest that sin has no consequences and that those consequences may very well be direct spiritual intervention. Judgment begins in the house of God. If you're following Jesus and he loves you, I love my children and I will discipline them when they're doing something ridiculous. He chastens, he corrects, he disciplines every child that he receives, every son that he receives. And I'm glad for that. I may not always like what that discipline is. <laughs> what this, that reality did in the early church was it produced a godly reverence. The word that's used is fear. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, 
Help me lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, right? Like, let me lay aside this stuff because sin has real consequences. The wages of sin is death always. And you and I who are pursuing Jesus, God has prepared good works that we should walk in them, right? So his word to this man, don't keep sinning. <laughs> the, the word, the, the verb here is the present tense. It means don't continue, don't continue practicing something. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Ooh, well then. <laughs> The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. (laughs) Now he knows who it is. He didn't even know who it was before. But now he knows who it is, so he tells the Jews, it's Jesus. This is a name they've been hearing. For this reason, verse 16, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on Shabbat. He was breaking their traditions, and John says, this is the reason why they started wanting to kill him because he was breaking the traditions of the elders by doing things on Shabbat that uh, they didn't approve of on the Sabbath. Number 17, Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have, I have been working. I want you to not miss the connection there. Sabbath was about stopping working. Right? Six days God made everything, made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That's what the text says. When God gave the Shabbat to Israel and said, this is my covenant between you, this nation, and me, is is Sabbath, is Shabbat. When God gave the Sabbath day, he gave it with this statement to Israel. In six days, I created everything. And on the seventh day, I ceased creating. That's what rest is. He stopped creating. Six days he did something. The last day he rested. He stopped that creative order. Therefore, you rest on the Sabbath day. Remember Shabbat. This was what God had commanded Israel. Remember the Sabbath day. Now Jesus says, but Jesus answered them, my father's been working until now and I've been working. Don't miss that connection. They're like, well, you shouldn't be working on Sabbath day. Jesus responds to them. He's not being a smart aleck. He's like, listen, God's still working. How do you think everything's still functioning? <laughs> right? like, like, it's Sabbath day, but God's still working. <laughs> right? Like, He's been working. And Jesus is like, I've been working. <laughs> also, in another place, you, you can read this in Matthew's gospel and in, uh, I believe in Luke's as well. Another place where they criticize Jesus for working on the Sabbath day. He's like, even, even the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath day. They don't get to take Saturday off. They are still sacrificing and doing the work of, of, of the temple service on what day? On Shabbat. Because their job, God commanded them to. They're still working. Right? <laughs> well, they're breaking the Sabbath day. No, they're doing what God commanded them to do. <laughs> right? So, therefore... Um, verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. He knew exactly what to say to calm the situation. (laughs) No, it just made him more mad, right? (laughs) His response, God has been working and I have been working. The Jews sought all the more to kill him. Verse 18 says, because he not only broke Shabbat, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. I need you to stop right there and pay attention to this. This is what this whole next section is about. 
This is where this teaching that Jesus lays out is all about this relationship between the Father and the Son. This, this, um, this very intimate view of the Godhead, of this one being who is God, who exists forever as Father and as Son and as Spirit. And Jesus lays out for us uh, in this section some ways that we can try to wrap our minds around, <laughs> around that. In in a, in a, a language that we know, um, the Jews understood what Jesus was claiming, and it made them mad. I want to, that's like the summary statement. They knew that he was claiming to be equal with God. They knew that, and it made them mad. Okay, so whatever nonsense people try and come up with now, and they're like, "Well, the Bible never says that." Listen, the people in the first century knew that Jesus was saying that. Like they understood that that's what he was trying to say. So whatever nonsense people try and come up with now and they say, well, Jesus wasn't saying that he was equal to the Father, or that he's less, or that he's a created being, or whatever the nonsense is that people try and say now. Some sometimes some cult groups say. It's all just nonsense. If you just if we you and I pay attention to what the text says, I think we can see clearly that even even his contemporaries understood what he was trying to say. And I think that has a lot more weight for me than you thinking you knew what Jesus meant. Uh the, the people who actually heard him, uh they they knew what he was intending. <laughs> Okay, and so it's uh, it's revealed to us there. Verse 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Every part of these statements, what, we, what you're going to see is this, this unity of the father and the son. That's the top and the bottom of what's being said here. And Jesus would pray later on. We're going to get to it later on in John's gospel. Jesus says, Father, I pray that you would make them one just as we are one, as the father and son are one. This is uh, about about uh, unity. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Um. <clears throat> so many places we could look. Um, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2 really quickly. And you, and you, Ephesians 2, Paul writes Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with the Messiah. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in the Messiah Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in the Messiah. In Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see that? Paul's like, you were dead in your trespasses, and he made you alive. That's what Jesus is saying here. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, 
I, I, listen, there are a few sections where he's raising, where we see dead people raised back, resuscitated. I think it's bigger than that. <laughs> this is about the new birth. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. That's good news. For as the father, verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. Indeed, everyone will stand before Jesus. Has committed all judgment to the son. First Peter 4, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter reminds us. He's committed all judgment to the Son. Verse 23, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Do you see the connection that Jesus is making with his teaching here? Whatever happens to Jesus is like it's happening to the Father. What happens to the Father is like it's happening to the Son. There's this, this union between the Father and the Son. This inseparability. This connection. Later on, we're going to find Jesus saying, Jesus saying, you guys have seen the Father. And they're like, what? And Jesus is like, have I been with you so long that you still don't understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, as we read, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. This is a present reality. You have passed from death into life if you have believed him. This is the same thing that Paul writes about in Romans 10. I'm going to read a section of that in just a second there, but it's this simplicity of the good news. I want to read to you also from 1 Corinthians in just a second as well. But most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, verse 25, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's Ephesians 2. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Moses had said, um, in Deuteronomy, that God was going to send another prophet like him, like Moses, and him they would hear. And if they did not, it would bring judgment on themselves. And of course, Jesus is that prophet, one prophesied by, by Moses. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, He doesn't receive life. He didn't become alive. He has life in himself. It is a quality of his being. Jesus would say later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also, as he mentions there. Um, Because he is the Son of Man. 
all the things people say now when they're like, only God can judge me. I've mentioned this before. Like, uh-huh. Why does that not terrify you? Like, I don't understand somebody saying that with arrogance. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. And God is going to judge because he's good. He's right. He's faithful. He's just. He punishes sin. And I'm really glad he does, except it's terrifying because I'm a sinner. <laughs> my only hope is that he made a way to rescue me from my sin. And he has. That's why it's good news. It's such great news. It's all about God and all about his glory and, and not about my ability to obey and not about my ability to keep it up and not about my ability to keep the rules. It's all about him about his kindness. Remember what I read to you from Ephesians where Paul says that we will be we will be like demonstrations examples of his grace and his kindness toward us. Um all right, let's let's finish up here. It's late. Don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There it is. And people are like, well, everybody's going to be saved, this sort of universalism. What? What? Huh? Then how are some raised in this resurrection of life and others to the resurrection of condemnation? <laughs> like, what? What? Uh, what about Daniel 12, 2? Daniel says something very similar there. Some will be raised to everlasting life and others to eternal contempt. What? <clears throat> Verse 30 says, I can of, of myself do nothing. <clears throat> I wish I could learn to say that <laughs> more. Lord, I can't do anything myself. I need your help, always. I can of myself do nothing, Jesus said. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. That was the the top and the bottom. That's the, the whole thing about this person of Jesus, the Son, God the Son. He is so united with the Father. They are one. There's one being, God. Jesus continues the last little bit. If I bear witness of myself, my witness isn't true. Uh, there, uh, um, the law said that um, th things were established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So if Jesus is like, if I'm the only person bearing witness of myself, then don't believe me. <laughs> right? So now he's going to point to other witnesses about who he was. If I bear witness of myself, or if I'm the only one bearing witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bear, bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I don't receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. John the Baptist had been sent, and John bore witness of Jesus. That's one of the uh, thing, one of the people who became a witness of him, of the reality of who Jesus was. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. The second thing that bears witness of Jesus is the works that he was doing. 
The Isaiah 61 prophecy talked about the Messiah doing miraculous things. And Jesus was doing exactly what Isaiah 61 said. He was doing a miraculous works. And those miracles became, in the life of Jesus, another witness to the reality that Jesus is who he was saying that he was. So John bore witness the works of the Messiah, the miracles that he did also bore witness of him. Verse 37, and the father himself who sent me has testified of me. Ooh, what happened at the baptism? The father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's another witness. The father himself spoke, the voice of many waters. The father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. That's like a slap in the face <laughs> to them. <laughs> like, <laughs> Also, you know who did hear his voice and see his form? Moses. Remember? Moses was like, show me your glory. And God was like, I can't because you'll die. But I'll let you see my afterglow. I'll let you see my hind parts, my butt. If you would, like, the what's left after I pass by, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> I know. <clears throat> and he hid him in the in the rock, and, and, and God passed by. What does that mean? God doesn't have a body like we have. Like, what do you, like, <laughs> do you understand how, how incredibly humble that is for God to do something like that for Moses? Did God have to do that? No. The Father himself, as we read, who sent, who sent me, has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you don't have his word abiding in you because whom... Um, <clears throat> You don't have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you don't believe. This is the way Jesus knew. It's this logical flow of thought. Jesus knew that if they had the word of God living in them, that they would hear the words of Jesus and believe him because he is the word of God. But because they weren't believing him, the logic flows then. They didn't have the word of God abiding in them because they didn't believe him. That's, it's just a very logical statement. Verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. I grew up um, with people thinking that, like, you can never write in this. That, like, if it looked messed up or, like, if it fell on the floor or something, like, that it was, like, the worst thing ever. And really, a lot of that is is based in a lot of um, uh, spiritualism and superstition um, that really has nothing to do with reality. Uh, But Christians can be some of the most ridiculously superstitious people. uh, unfortunately, and not only us, uh, lots of people. There are lots of superstitions in the world. Some people are like, I only trust science. And then they're like, also, I have this crystal that I talk to because crystals are valuable and important to me and they help me with my sign and my astrological stuff. I'm like, oh, so you only believe science then? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> right? Like, we, p- humans are a bundle of contradictions, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Frequently. So, uh, anyhow. Um, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. If we go from this and we say, oh, the Bible's not that important. We miss the point of what's being said here. It is through what has been written. It is through the writings that we come to know the truth, that we can learn information. But if I don't take that information to a person, it's all irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. What we do here as we study the scripture, all I can do is give you information. But if you don't take the information and you dwell in a relationship with God, then all the information I can give you is worthless. It is God that you need. 
It is him, the living being. He loves you. He has rescued us from our sin. It is him who orders our lives. He who orders our lives. These are they which testify of me, but you're not willing, verse 40, you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. And TikTok is full of people who say all sorts of things about the Bible, but they don't know him. Because they've never come to him that they may have life. They read a book and they thought they understood something because they had information, but they never went to Jesus. They never came to him. Because at the very bottom of it, when I read my Bible, it always comes to this question. Do I just, do I believe him? Do I just believe him or not? And a lot of, a lot of people don't. I don't receive honor from men, he continues. But I know, that, I know you that you don't have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you'll receive. How can you believe who honor, who receive honor from one another? <laughs> They're like a good old boys club. Like how, Jesus is like, how can you believe? You guys are so caught up in your own little deal, giving each other honor. Oh, Rabbi so-and-so says. Oh, Rabbi so-and-so says. Ugh. <laughs> like, what? what? But you won't come to me. You won't come to God. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and don't seek the honor that comes from the only God? Don't think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Boom. He's like, this is mic drop. This is, he's dropping bombs on these people who thought they were the ones who knew Moses, who understood Moses, who taught Moses. Jesus is like, listen, you guys don't know anything about what you're talking about. <laughs> In fact, even though all judgment has been given to me, I don't have to judge you because Moses will judge you. (laughs) There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Also, this is why you should believe the Bible, (laughs) because Jesus did. If you don't believe Moses, how are you going to believe what Jesus said? Moses talked to us about Jesus. I wanted to read to you from Romans 10 uh, and 1 Corinthians. I'll skip the 1 Corinthians when I want to commend to you the beginning of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, and how Paul says there's this foolishness of preaching and God has chosen to save people just by announcing this message that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's been buried and raised from the dead. And if you will lay your trust in him, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and ask him to rescue you from your sin, then you will be saved. That's what he says in Romans 10. I've summarized those two sections greatly. Read them more. 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, read Romans 10, read 1 Corinthians 11, read 1 John 5. That's a lot of Bible reading. Yes. Do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pour over the scripture. Let, let, let the word of God be like water washing over you. If you have a hard time reading, you have a little amazing, wonderful device in your pocket that can connect you to lots of information. If you have trouble reading, Download an audio Bible and listen. It's a good habit that I have had that has really been beneficial for me. Just get in your car if you're driving somewhere and just put the text on and just listen to the writings. Just listen to the word. But don't think that it's about just having the information. If you don't go to him, the information doesn't mean anything. 
That's the difference between uh, information or knowledge, science, and wisdom. Science just means knowledge, just means information. Um, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is that wisdom is the application of knowledge or the application of information. If, if all I do is have information, but I don't do anything with it, that's foolishness. But if I use the information that I have, and I make choices based on that, that that's what wisdom is. So, go to him that you may have life, dear friends. Because God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save some, and it really is foolishness, to say that a man died 2,000 years ago on the cross who claimed to be God, and his followers said he's been raised from the dead, and if you will trust him, then he will bring you from the death that you already live in and give you a life forever. You'll enter into that eternal life the moment you trust him, and it will go on forever, even when your body dies. Eternal life goes on forever. And one day he will restore all things just as he's promised. All of creation groans. Guys, I mean, come on. This is, this is good news. <laughs> this is, the world is a hot mess, y'all. <laughs> and so am I. And I need Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would again, again rescue. Let us not treat sin in a flippant way as if thinking that because, because Jesus died for our sins, thinking that there are no more consequences for sin that we will have to deal with. There, in fact, are and can be. God, we praise you that even in the midst of that, you treat us as dear children whom you love, as you lovingly correct us, knowing that sin, even our sin, will destroy, um, can destroy not only us, but can hurt our children, our friends, can hurt others. Because you love them, you'll deal with us too. Pray that we'd receive that with wisdom and with grace. God, I ask that you be honored with us, that you bless your church and bless your people, that you teach us to follow Jesus, all that we are. Lord, teach us your word uh, that we might come to know you. <laughs> I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Guys, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. And the Lord lift up his smile on you and give you peace. It's